we're doing a sermon series on suffering. And it's, that's, like, oftentimes when you have an opportunity to preach on the Word, um, there's certain topics that you know without a shadow of a doubt people are going through. And suffering is one of those things where universally, I can honestly say at any given point in time, we all feel like we're suffering from something. And, uh, and so I always get excited to be able to preach uh, sermons like this because I know that uh, it truly speaks to people and where we are. It's one of those things that I think that we're all sort of struggling with and going through some sort of suffering in our life. And so uh, I had that opportunity again today, and so I want to go back to um, John 15. And so we were in our sermon series last time in the book of John, and, and it was interesting because here you are the night before Jesus was going to die, and he's speaking specifically to his disciples because he knows how upset they are and how fearful they are and what he's telling them right now that I have to go away. And so one of the things he says to them in John 15 specifically, he says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. He's telling his disciples and making them understand that the hate that is going to come your way is no different from what he, did, he went through himself. And in fact, don't be surprised, they hated me before they're going to hate you. And so Jesus then goes in John 17, he prays the, the high priestly prayer. That's one of the things he's praying for them. When he's praying to his father, he's like, Father, keep them, just as I did when I was here. Keep them, because he knows what they're about to go through. He knows what lies ahead in the life of those, especially for those who give themselves and their lives to Christ. I had an opportunity to actually open up the sermon series, doing the very first sermon. And I remember one of the things that really stuck out that Peter was talking about, he was telling them is, look, you're going to suffer and you're about to suffer. Suffering is a reality in life. And whether you're a believer or a non-believer, you're going to suffer. But what Christ does, and as those who know Christ as their Lord and Savior, what you're doing is you're entering into his life and you're going to suffer. And what God is doing in the midst of the suffering, he's actually refining you just like gold. The thing is, like go, unlike gold, which will perish at the end of everything, what you have and what you will see will not. That's why you can have hope in the midst of it. And then Ezra preached last week, and one of the things that Ezra was talking about was how in the midst of it, we need to turn from doing evil and turn from evil and do good. Why? Because God opposes the wicked. And one of the things that, that Peter quotes from last week was Psalm 34. And specifically, one of the things that, that yeah, uh, the David says in Psalm 34, is many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. There's something about you as living a life of righteousness, and now you are righteous, not on your own righteousness, but because you place your faith in Christ, you're going to face affliction. It's a reality of being a Christian. And when you face affliction, don't worry, because the Lord will deliver you. Why? Because that's what he did for his own son. And now you are entering into his life. There's a quote by a pastor in England. He's uh, from the 1800s. His name is F.B. Meyer. Listen to what he says. He says, Not to be hated by the world, to be loved and flattered and caressed by the world is one of the most terrible positions in which a Christian can find himself. 
is when you are living your life for Christ and you're finding that everyone is just loving and flattering and caressing you, you have to ask the question, am I really that different from everyone around me? Because by your very nature, living for Christ, it should cause conflict. Not that I'm not going out and looking for it and fighting with people, but your very nature and the light that is now in you should cause people to come against you. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't worry. They hated me before they even hated you. Don't be surprised when it comes. And so what you see in the Bible and what you see in the New Testament is this constant theme of suffering. 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 We just see it again and again and again. And I say, how is that for a marketing plan, right? Who wants to be a Christian now? Right? Let's pray for salvation, right? You guys are like, no, thank you. Right? I don't need that. Right? But you see it all over. You look on the news and there's a woman that was a, a cheerleader for the Miami Dolphins. And she's talking about the suffering that she went through when she was, was talking with her, uh, the cheer squad. And they, and they found that she was a virgin and what she went through with that. I read a book by a guy who's from Finland. He's a scientist from Finland. And he talks about, his book is called Heretic, One Scientist's Journey from Darwin to Design. And he was like, as he was beginning looking at the evidence, he was like, Darwinism doesn't make sense. As I'm going and I'm looking, it just doesn't make sense. And whenever you try to question it, they just beat you down. Darwinism is a religion in and of itself. And even the evidence begins to point against it, people are like, no, you don't go against it. And they will ruin you for even trying to have another theory. Right? And so you see that. And so you see when we're living our lives for Christ, there are those who will naturally oppose you because of not so much what you say, but who you are and what you've become. And so the question that we always have to ask is, okay, I understand if I'll suffer, God, if I'm doing something wrong, but am I going to suffer for doing good? Will I suffer for doing good? And if I do, then how do I respond? How am I called to respond if I'm suffering for doing what's right? And that's what we're going to look at today. Here's what we're going to see, is what Peter is saying is there is a blessing in suffering for doing good. There is a blessing in suffering for doing good. I call this sermon a reason for the hope. A reason for the hope. And what my prayer is is that we would walk away today and learn how should we respond in our lives when I'm doing what I'm called to do and I still suffer. Let's pray. Father, just prepare us, Lord, to hear from you. More than anything in our lives, Lord, just remind us and show us how loved we are that even though we suffer in this world, that you have not forgotten us, that you love us more than anything, Father, and that this Scripture shows, Father, that as we live our lives and we follow Christ, that we are entering into the same path that he lived, Father, and we saw what you did in his life. So, Father... Help us by the end of this sermon to just have such a renewed hope and a love for you that we would just focus our lives in living for you even more, Lord. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We're in, uh, we're in 1 Peter 3, verses 13 through 22. So 1 Peter 3, verses 13 through 22. And we do have it um, up on the screen. We do have Bibles up here if you need some also. Verse 13, now who 
is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Have a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. And so Peter starts off by saying, okay, who can harm you if you're zealous for doing what's right? This idea of harm. Yes, can somebody physically harm me right now? Yes, it is. But who can ultimately harm you forever if you are zealous for doing what is right, doing the right thing? Remember, he was writing this to a group of people who are suffering and who are about to go through suffering under the Roman Empire. And so Peter never tried to hide the fact of what was really about to happen. So that's why his letter is addressed to them. But we can do the same thing and see the same thing today. And what he's saying is, even if you suffer for doing what's right and for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And so we think about that and we're like, I, that doesn't make sense to me. Right? How am I gonna, why am I going to suffer for doing good? It, it's, sometimes it offends us, the idea of if I'm doing what's right, I'm still going to suffer. Nobody told me this about the Christian life, right? I told you guys before, when I first became a Christian, I was thinking in my head, I was like, this is awesome, man. I haven't had any problems at all. Like the Christian life is awesome, right? I, I didn't understand and I didn't know. And so then what would happen is when I started to go through suffering, my normal response was I was angry at God, right? I'm keeping up my end of the bargain, God, right? I've been reading my Bible. I've been going to church sometimes, right? I've been praying. Why aren't you keeping up your end of the bargain? And so I would get angry at God. Or there would be times I think to myself, you're like, I know what it was. I didn't go to church last week. Uh-huh. See, when I don't go to church, bad stuff happens. And so I think that I have the ability to manipulate God by my behavior, that I can manipulate God and how and the things to prevent bad things from coming to my life. Man, I'm going to church every week. That's how we normally think. Think about the, the, the prodigal son, right? The younger son says to the father, basically, is I want my inheritance now. I wish you were dead, basically. He takes the money, he goes off, he spends wildly, lives wildly, realizes the error of his ways, he comes back, comes back and he says, I'm going to apologize to my father. His father sees him a long way off. His father runs off, kisses him, welcomes him back, and is having a party. And while this is going on, the older brother who's been there the whole time is like, what's going on? And one of the servants says, well, your brother that was lost has now come back. And he's like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> right? He said, ain't this or something, something. I've been here the whole time doing what I'm supposed to do, and you're going to tell me you're throwing a party for him? Why? He doesn't love the Father. He's manipulating him. If I just keep doing what I'm doing, I'll get what I want. And so we think, if I just keep doing what I'm doing, nothing bad will happen to me. And Jesus says, let me just change your thinking on that right there. Right? 
And so that's what we see. That's why when Jesus is giving his famous Sermon on the Mount, what he says is, blessed are you when you suffer for righteousness' sake. You're blessed. Why? Because now you understand what it's like to be me. Now you're actually entering into the same life and the pattern that I did. And so, but when we see suffering, how, how much of us are ready to give for suffering? How many of you are ready to leave here today and suffer? We don't want to do it, but what he says is when you pick up your cross and you follow that path, that's the path that you go. Why? Because that's where you're going to see Christ. And you're going to know him in ways you never thought. And so every day we're faced with going that, that path of the cross, and many of us will always go around it because we don't want to suffer. I've suffered many times in my life, and you think that that was the path I would have chosen? But I've seen the Lord work in many ways through suffering. There's many times I talk to God, and I'm like, God, that's probably not the way that I would have done it. But I look and I see what he did in the midst of it. And so he says is that you are blessed when you suffer, especially when you suffer for doing good. And so what Peter then says is that. And then he goes off and he says, now this is how you are to respond when this happens. Not if it happens, when this happens. Number one, he's like, have no fear and don't be troubled. Why? Because your God will care for you. He did it for his own son. What do you think he's going to do for you? God will care for you in the midst of that. That's the first thing. Then the second thing is, honor Christ in your hearts as holy. What he's saying is, make Christ the most important thing and the focus of everything in your life. It's about Jesus. First and foremost is what he's saying. Don't lose sight. What happened to Peter when he walked out in the boat and walked on the water? He was walking right, and as soon as he began to take his eyes off that, what happened to him? He took his eyes off of Jesus. And so what Peter is saying is, don't lose sight. Honor Christ as holy. Remember what he's done. Remember who he is. First and foremost in your life, don't look at selfish desires. Don't take the opinions of others because people don't help you when you're suffering, right? You remember what Job went through, right? People talking in your ear. You don't need that either. So I focus on what Christ says. I don't focus on worldly wisdom. I don't look at the pressure of my circumstances. And what Christ does is when I focus on him, he begins to change my heart and the person in the midst of the suffering. Think about the disciples. Jesus told them, you guys are all going to desert me. No, we won't. And then what happened when the guards came? They took off. And Peter follows him, remember? Peter followed him, and the, the servant girl was like, hey, you were with him. He was like, no, I wasn't. Right? He's afraid of a servant girl. And he ran off after he denied Jesus three times. And what happened to him? After Christ rose and came back, now he's going out. And now that same man that was running away and lying to a little girl was now going and preaching to people and saying, you put him to death and was preaching the gospel. His focus was on Christ. His focus was on Jesus and who he was and what he came to do. And so what he says is, number one, is don't have fear, don't be troubled, honor Christ, focus on Christ first and foremost, and always be prepared to give a reason for the reason that you have hope in you. Your hope is in the fact that Jesus Christ came and said, I am going to die and rise again bodily. And so our hope is in something logical that happened. That's where we place our faith but always be prepared to give a reason why it's in you. Why? Because in the midst of your suffering, people will see that and say, why are you have so much joy? Right? 
I told the last group, my last job, the work environment was, uh, let's just say, less than desirable. It was not a very good work environment. And so many people were just miserable there, right? It just beats you up every day. But yeah, I was the annoying guy at the front door every morning saying, good morning, right? Every job has like one of those people you're like, <laughs> right? And so that was my, that was me. And I was like, why am I happy? Why do I have joy? It was in the midst of what I was going through. And people would say, why are you always so happy? I'm like, you really want to know? The coffee downstairs is wonderful. No, it was Christ. It was Jesus. And I had joy because I knew that where I was was not my final place. That's not where I was going to be. My faith was in the one who died and rose again because my focus was always on Christ and him. He was in my heart and I honored him as holy. And so our hope is in the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Are you prepared to share that? And so he says this, not only do I do that, not only do I have a, a reason for the hope that's in me, but I do it with gentleness and respect. That's probably the hardest part, right? What do you do? How do I show gentleness and respect when someone's like, you Christians, right? And they're attacking you for what you believe and how you live. You see, my belief was when I first became a Christian that I was going to argue you into the kingdom, right? I was going to beat you to a pulp and then say, now, would you like to know Jesus as your Savior, right? There's, a, there's an Indian proverb that says you don't cut off somebody's nose and then go and give them a rose to smell. I would beat you down and then say, let's go now. Let me show you the love of Christ, <laughs> right? You can't argue people into the kingdom. And so what he's saying is when you have hope, but you do it with gentleness and respect because the very person you're talking to was someone that was made in the image of Christ. They are made in the image of Christ. And so I can point to them and point Christ and point to the hope. I'll tell you right now, loving people in a sinful world and not arguing with them, it feels powerless, right? It feels absolutely powerless. That's why we don't like that. At least let me fight a little bit. And I feel like I'm doing something. And what did Christ do? Because when you are powerless, you can't do it. That's the gospel. And so who do I have to go to for my power and strength? And so when I'm suffering, it draws me to who? It draws me to the Father. Lord, help me. Help me. Help this person I'm with, Father. I can't change them, but you can. Help me in the midst of it to honor you as holy, to give a reason for the hope that's in me, Father, and help me to do it with gentleness and respect. And so what he also says is, not only does he say that, he says, but have a good conscience that in the midst of what I'm going through, I want to know that what I'm doing is right, God. I want to know that I have a good conscience in what I'm doing and I'm following you, Father, and that I'm suffering because I'm doing what's right. You remember Terrell Owens back in 2004 when he was doing like the, the sit-ups in the driveway and the, with the, he was going through the contract problem with the Eagles, right? At that time, he compared himself to Jesus. And he says, like, him and Jesus were going through the same thing. And I was like, eh. <laughs> I don't know if it's exactly the same, right? But what he was trying to say was that he was, how he was suffering. And I'm like, no, you brought the suffering upon yourself, Right? And so I don't know if he could have, say he had a good conscience. 
that he was suffering for the same reason. And so what he's saying is if you're going to suffer, have a good conference of that because I'll tell you right now, people will be very quick to point out in your life when what you say and what you do are two different things, right? Right? People who want nothing to do with Christ, well, you ain't a Christian. Look at you. You're not holy. You don't love. So they will see. So when I suffer for doing good, I'm going to have a good conscience and say, I know, Father, I'm following you, and I know I'm not perfect, and that's the grace that I have with you, but Father, I'm trying to live righteously because that's how you've called me to live. And now I find myself in the suffering. So what Peter is saying right here is if you're going to suffer, let it be for doing good in Christ, and people will be put to shame in your good behavior. None of us wants to suffer, but if we do suffer, let it be for doing good and not evil. Because I guarantee you, if you do evil, what do you think is going to happen? You're going to suffer at some point. But if you're going to suffer, let it be for doing good. There's a, there's a story in history, and this goes back to 320 A.D. It's called the, the 40 Martyrs of Sebast. It's a true story. And these were a company of 40 Roman soldiers that were known as the Thundering Legion. And word had got out that they became Christian. And so the governor discovered that they were Christians. And so at first he was very angry and he threatened to have them killed, but then he said, you know what? These were among the bravest soldiers in my army. So what I'm going to do is I am going to give them an opportunity to turn away. So I promised them money and he promised them honor and he said only if they would consent to worship the gods that the emperor worshiped. And so they went to them, and, he, and then so one of them responded and said, you offer us money that remains behind and glory that fades away. He said, we would rather die than renounce our faith. And so you can imagine the governor got really angry and said, okay. He ordered them to have their clothes stripped, sent them out in the middle of a frozen lake, 40 of them now in the middle of a frozen lake. And what he also did is he went and he took this big tub of hot water and warm water and put it right on the shore and said, if any of you wants to renounce your faith, just come on shore and get in the water. And so there they are, the 40 of them there, and they were, they were saying to themselves, they were saying one night of suffering and then an eternity of happiness in heaven. And then they began to pray that, that, that their number would remain 40 and persevere till the end, that we would remain 40. And they were singing 40 soldiers for Jesus, 40 brave soldiers for Christ. And they endured this torture for hours and hours until one of them couldn't take it anymore. And he goes toward the shore. And the guards grab him. And they put him in the water. And he died. The shock from going to the cold to the warm. And so now there's 39. And now they're singing but with a little less enthusiasm. And they're saying, 39 soldiers for Christ. 39 brave soldiers for Christ. And as they're singing, one of the pagan guards takes off his clothes and goes out. 40 soldiers for Christ. 40 brave soldiers for Christ. You see? They didn't fear. They honored Christ in their hearts as holy. The reason for their hope was in Christ, was his death and resurrection. And you know what? They didn't fight. There was a gentleness. There was a respect. 
and they had a good conscience. And when you do that, others who revile your behavior in Christ will be put to shame. That's what Peter is saying. You are a walking billboard for Christ. Will you suffer for doing good? Probably yes. At some point in your life, you will. But what we're called to do is respond just like Jesus did. Have any of you suffered for doing good? Have any of you suffered for doing the right thing? Who was more loving than Jesus? And what did they do to him? You see, look at what Peter says next in verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that, the, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subject to him. I read this the first time, and I was like, I have no idea what Peter is saying right now, right? Why is he talking about all like baptism and the ark and, and visiting the spirits in prison? What he's saying is this. Christ literally came and suffered once. He who was righteous came and gave his life for those who were unrighteous. And so what we are called to do is we are now called to live a life. Our willingness to now suffer for doing good connects to his willingness to suffer for us. Whenever I question about suffering for doing good, I have to keep remembering what he did on the cross for me. Honoring Christ is holy, right? And what he did. And what Jesus, what he's saying is, after the death in the flesh and, his, and, and being raised in the spirit, what he literally did is he went and he preached and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Now, when you look at commentaries and you look at, uh, at scholars, what they say, there's, like, there's a couple different reasons as to why or who he was preaching to. These spirits could either be fallen angels from the time of like Noah, before Noah, or it could be those who perished in the flood during the time of Noah, or that Christ's spirit actually preached through Noah to those who were in prison, in sin. So they go back and forth to what that means, and they don't exactly know what Peter was saying and who it was specifically. But what we do know is this, is that Jesus went and he visited this place of these spirits in prison. What he was doing to them was not preaching the gospel. What he was doing to them was saying, it is done. And he was proclaiming his victory and what he had done. And so that connects back to what we're talking about because we can suffer in knowing that I'm becoming just like him who was raised and who went and proclaimed, it's done. And the victory that we have. And so what he does, he goes and he compares that to the ark. You see, Noah and his family were saved by and through water being on the ark. Right? As God was giving a fresh start. And he did it through water. And he was like, that's the same thing that you have now. Except it's not as dirt washing the body, or as, as water washing dirt from the body. What he means is you don't get your salvation from baptism. Baptism is what gives you a good conscience that I've placed my faith in Christ. And so just like they were saved through the water, you too 
are saved. And the water from baptism is almost the same as the water from the ark you see in the, in the days of Noah. Because I've placed my faith in Christ, that's how I know that what Christ did applies to me. And that's why even in the midst of my suffering right now, I know what the final story is. And I have hope in what he's come to do. That's what he's saying. And so what he's saying is, as God's judgment comes in the world, Christians are brought safely through it because Christ conquered and Christ had victory. And so we can rejoice because at the end of it all, we know what the final, we know what the final result is. We know what the story is. It's triumph. How is it possible? Well, let me tell you this. 700 years before Jesus, there was a prophet named Isaiah. And he wrote what this Messiah was going to be like. And what he said is he's going to be despised, oppressed, afflicted. That he was going to be pierced for our transgressions. That he was going to be crushed for our iniquities. And that his grave would be made with the wicked. Jesus Christ, who was with his Father for eternity, was now before the cross alone. He suffered by himself alone. Why? So that when we go through suffering in our lives, he's right there with us. That we don't have to go through it alone. That what you're going through in your life right now, and the suffering that you are going through, you don't have to do it alone. Why? Because he already did that for you. He already was alone. So that you could be with him. And that you have hope till the end. We honor Christ as holy for what he did. What did he do? came to give his life on the cross. He came to die so that we would be forgiven. He came to gather us back into the family because we had strayed because of our sin. That's what he came to do on the cross. And after he did it, he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison his triumph. He is over everything. Everything is subject to him now. That's who we place our faith in. That's the reason we have hope. That's the person that we've placed our hope in. So what does that mean for us? Three things. Number one, as a Christian, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, understand this. You are called to enter into the same life and pattern as Jesus. You know when you go somewhere and you sign a contract, and many of us just sign. We don't read what's going on, right? We don't even know what I'm signing. I'm just going to... Well, this is the part of Christianity that people don't tend to not read. Like, I love the part that says, I am saved, and my righteousness is not mine, but it's Christ, right? But I didn't actually read down further that said, I'm actually going to suffer just like he did. And you see, that's what the Apostle Paul is writing to the Philippian church when he's trying to tell them, I know that my righteousness is not mine, it's Christ, but I also want to have fellowship of his suffering. What he's saying is, I actually am going to suffer, and I want to suffer just like he did, because then you are going to know the same power that raised Christ from the dead. You're going to see the same thing in your life. That's what Paul Miller says when he, has, when he talks about the J-curve. This is the shape of the Christian life. It's suffering into death and then the resurrection. And you'll see in your life, you'll have many moments every single day of suffering 
and then resurrection, but that always points back to the larger suffering and then resurrection. That's the shape of the Christian life. So as a Christian, what I'm called to do is now step into that life, and I will step into it, and I will see it every single day. But when I do that, I guarantee you, you will know Jesus, and you will see Jesus, and you will fall in love with him more than you ever imagined, because now you've entered into the life. So when I see people today who are suffering, I know it's hard. But I tell them, I'm like, you're actually in the gospel. You're living the gospel, right? And they're seeing that in their life. And so we, as Christ's representative, we're going to reflect him, and we should reflect him in how we respond right in the midst of that. And you watch the resurrection life that comes. So the first thing is we enter into Jesus' life and the pattern of his life. The second is how do we respond when suffering comes for doing good? Doing good literally means that I'm living righteously and like the fruit of the Spirit is evident in my life. I'm doing right. And so what he's saying is, he doesn't say when it comes, he says if, or he doesn't say if it comes, he says when it comes. And when we do, what do we do? We focus on Jesus' holiness. We put Christ first and foremost. My desire is to know him and to love him and to be so engulfed by him in every moment of my life. That's where my focus is. And then I'm ready to give an answer when somebody says to me, Why do you, how do you have joy? When my mom passed away, having joy in the midst of it, you want to know why I have hope? Because of Christ and what he's done. I'm always prepared to give a reason why I have hope. And that reason is a person, the person of Christ. But I do it gently and I do it respectfully. That's how we're called to share in the midst of our suffering for good. Enter into Jesus' life. We respond to suffering when, when it comes for doing good. And lastly, is know your reason. How often do you even pick up the Bible? Is the first time you touch a Bible is when you come here and you're trying to move it off the seat so you can sit down? Do you even read it? Are you even reading the Bible? I'm telling you, if you're not doing that, then you are trying to go to war every day and you've got no ammunition because you don't even know if God's speaking to you. And so what I do is I want to know the gospel story. I want to be able to share it to people when that time comes, when people come and they see the hope. I listen well to understand people's perspective and where they're coming from. I'm not going to argue with them because I remember that every behind every question is a questioner is a person who was made in the image of God. I guarantee you, if you take time to listen to people and to understand and to be able to share, it will open up so many doors. But if you fight with people, they're just going to close down. And so I know my reason, and my reason is Christ. Peter is speaking from personal knowledge. <laughs> Everything he writes is like, I've been there. I know. And now he's sharing with them, and he shares with us. This is what the Christian life looks like. But the beautiful thing is this isn't the end. The blessing in suffering for doing good is that we become like him, and our ultimate hope is in what he did on the cross. Pray with me.